0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood Transfusion Medicine Pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Isabella Holmes, a first-year pathology resident at Michigan State, to discuss her residency training experience so far. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Holmes.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kreuter.
0: This actually ties back a little bit to an earlier podcast that we had, which was really talking about how's this initial introduction to pathology going, advice for those that are coming into the field. And we wanted to do kind of this follow-up, and now that you have this first year almost behind you, we're recording this on May 31st, 2023, Let's start by telling our audience your story and maybe why you decided to become a pathologist.
1: Everyone's journey to pathology is a little bit different, but it's kind of all the same in that pathology sort of found us. And so I feel like my story echoes that. I grew up in Arizona. I went to Northern Arizona University for undergrad. And then I went to Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine in Florida for medical school. When I was in medical school, I found myself a lot of the time asking a lot of super detailed questions. And most of the time I would get a response of, oh, well, that doesn't matter. We don't care about that. And so then I'd be like, oh, okay, well, I was like, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. And I noticed that I was asking a lot of my questions based off of pathophysiology. So I was like venting to a friend one day and I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really just enjoy reading Robbins and I just want to read Robbins all day. And she was like, wow, well, you should be a pathologist then. And then I was like, that's actually a really good idea. I think I will be a pathologist. And it kind of made sense that I ended up in pathology because between med school and college, I was a faculty laboratory instructor in chemistry labs. So I taught organic chemistry and general chemistry labs. So when I left that job, I didn't think I would ever be going back to the lab. And I was kind of disappointed, even though med school was still my dream and everything. But that's how far like Pathology wasn't even a career I had in mind, so I'm really glad that pathology found me. And you know, as soon as I set up that a rotation in pathology, I knew within like the first, I don't know, it's like love at first sight. It's like as soon as I walked into that lab, I was like, yep this is definitely for me. So and I just <laughs> never looked back, you know. And I'd like to thank my friend Katerina Cocieri. She's the one who. Told me to do pathology.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know friends help friends find pathology. So well, they they see things
1: in you that you don't see yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, so true. Can you tell us the what? Like, what has this first year sort of been for you in terms of what's that rotation look like, and then how has that uh, experience been?
1: I feel like the first word that comes to mind is fast. I feel like this year has gone by so fast. I really can't even believe that I'm about to be a second year pathology resident. I feel like a lot of first year pathology residents feel this way, but I kind of feel like I'm not ready to be a second year. It's like everything went by in such a blur. I mean, we all have varying experiences of what we get exposed to in med school. So it's kind of like, I feel like I still have my training wheels on. And I'm not really sure when I'm going to be able to let those go. And thankfully, my program is so nice and so supportive. And so they're like totally okay with us walking us through the field of pathology step by step. I feel like our rotations too, they're only two weeks long. So you're there for the first week and you're like, what's happening? Where do I show up? And then by the second week, you sort of start to know what's going on, and then it's time to start a different rotation again. So it's been a whirlwind, but I feel like I have gotten a little bit better at certain things, so I feel like that's progress, but yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, as you talk about this experience of going through these rotations, that's one of the things that I've also kind of reflected on for learners, and, and how you're really doing this rapid sequencing through these different facets of pathology. Given that it's like really an apprenticeship, right? It's a cognitive apprenticeship you're learning as well as skills. Do you have any advice for listeners who might be going into pathology residency as far as how they can set themselves up for success during that? And I guess try to start to take a little bit of ownership for things. Uh, I know that's a classic challenge.
1: Yeah. So and I was kind of thinking about this question a lot because I was thinking about what I've actually done myself and then what I feel like general advice is. So there's kind of like two different answers there. For me, what has helped me take ownership of my cases and This is kind of, I don't know if other people do this, but when I'm reading through the clinical history of the patient, sometimes if I'm looking at slides, I'll look at it blind and then I'll go through the history. But a lot of the time I start off with the history the most, I spend like 20 minutes digging through the chart And what really helps me connect with the patients, because even though you're not there face to face, is I actually read the social work notes, because those give me like a good idea of a picture of that human that's on the slide or, you know, that I'm calling for over the phone. I haven't really heard that a lot, but for me, that's what really makes me motivated to not only get them the help get the correct answer, but also to see the case all the way through. And I've noticed that the patients that I do look into their personal history a little bit more, I actually like remember them and I write them down in my notebook and I actually follow up on them later because you get that little bit of personal touch that sometimes is lacking in pathology. That's what I like to do. I know that other people take ownership in cases. The general advice is, you need to learn from these cases because they're pertinent to future cases and your board. So this is a good example for this. I know that's how some people take ownership too. I do like a little bit of mix of both, but for me, it's really like the personal history that keeps me invested in the case
0: you know, this really resonates with me. I was just at a noon conference where somebody was presenting a a case of something where there's only been 20 described in the world literature, but it was a great example for several different things in the transfusion Mm -hmm. medicine world. And it was like, okay, even though this is this very rare case, this is great examples for X, Y, and Z. I tend to get the most out of that for me at the end of the day, reflecting back, I usually just take about 15 minutes before going home and jot down notes on what did we learn or discuss today? And, and is there something where I was like, geez, <laughs> I need to read a little bit more on that. What's your process look like for capturing the learning?
1: Yeah, I do the same thing. I have a notebook, just a standard composition notebook that is basically attached to me with every rotation. And I try to remember it as much as I can. Sometimes I forget it. I usually bring it down to sign out. And every time I hear a word, something, I'll just like jot it down really quick and then look it up as soon as I get the chance back at my desk. I try to not leave the day without having at least looked up everything in the notebook, because I feel like in the beginning, I got into the mindset of, oh, I'll write it down. And I'll look it up later. Mm-hmm. It's later never comes. It's like today or never. <laughs> and so I feel like I've really learned to seize the day, in <laughs> pathology residency, but that's what I do. And it's been working a lot better, actually committing to that. And also not like worrying so much about writing down every single thing that the attending is saying, because I'm also very much an auditory learner. So if I'm too busy writing things down, I'm not going to actually learn from that person who's trying to teach me in that moment. So you don't need to copy everything. Just write down a couple of like key, like memory joggers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see that. You know, I also want to applaud and highlight this skill that you just articulated, you started one thing and that was, you know, you're going to jot things down that you need to look up. But then you discovered or recognized for yourself that you're writing this stuff down, but not capitalizing on it the way I think you intended. How did you catch yourself? That's something that all of us, I continue to work on catching myself. How did you do that?
1: You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess for me, maybe it goes back to like exercise and like staying committed to something. And I feel like I have learned what it means to show up for myself in terms of exercise, eating right and sleeping well. And so when I started to notice like, okay, well, I keep not doing this and that list and that notebook just kept getting longer. And then at a certain point you get anxious because you're like, well, now you know, it's like giant laundry pile that it becomes too much to tackle. And so then I'm like, okay, well, obviously what I'm doing isn't working. And this did take me three or four months to be totally honest, to figure it out. So it's not like I recognized it right away, but good,
0: you're human like the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But
1: I think it comes back to like exercise and just being healthy. And that's how I learned how to show up for myself, if that makes sense. And so I knew that education-wise and academically, I was not doing what I needed to do for success. For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education.
0: This reminds me of another podcast that we did earlier about No Excuses, where uh, we had somebody, they were also tying it into physical exercise, and how does that translate into their clinical practice. You know, one of the things I'm curious about, we've kind of been talking about how you and yourself have been developing, navigating residency Wonderful words of wisdom for our listeners, especially those that are going into the field. But I think you know, for us that are educators to reflect on how we're setting our students up for success, helping them make that transition. What does that look like as far as that culture, that interprofessionalism of you're a physician now in Michigan and there's residents who are surgeons, residents who are internal medicine, and I imagine you're interacting with them professionally, but how is that going or how is that working? Is it working the way you imagined it would work, those kind of connections? What's that community like?
1: I think it's really fun, actually, and I think I don't know, at Michigan, I feel, I'm sure it's like this in a lot of places, but everyone is just so nice. We connect the most, I feel like, well, because I'm a first year anyway, on autopsy and micro and then on transfusion. I feel like that's when I am doing that interprofessional house officer to other house officer type of communication. And since I'm on autopsy right now, I feel like that is like the easiest thing to speak about. Basically, we had a case where we've had some unexpected findings, and we usually page the clinician in the morning to ask, hey, like, is there any specific questions? The house officer called me, and it was just like a very relaxed conversation. It kind of felt like in med school, when I'm just talking to my fellow med students, just like very casual, giving the information that we need to know, and you're not worried about Sounding silly or saying the wrong thing just because it's just like that, I don't know, that open vibe. And so I feel like we had a really d- good discussion that morning. And then later he actually called me and texted me again. He was like, Hey, I'm just really curious about that case. And for me, like, I was like, This is awesome because, like, someone's interested in an autopsy. Like, that's great, you know, because I feel like you know, sometimes you don't get like that participation as much as you would want. So then it felt like my work was really, really valued then. And so then I called him back and we had a great discussion. And that's just happened like recently. So that's why it's fresh in my mind. But I don't know, I feel like it's very casual here. And a lot of people go by first name basis, which I think also kind of helps when he answers the phone. He's like, Hey, it's Chris. And I'm like, Hey, it's Izzy. What's up? So that's how it's been as the house officer communication. As far as the attending to house officer relationship, I feel like I'm a very anxious and nervous person. So when I don't know something, I feel like a lot of pressure to answer a certain way. But I feel like Michigan has done a really good job at calming me down and not making me as nervous to the point where I feel pretty comfortable majorly messing up and saying silly things in front of most of my attendings which I feel like is a really good and kind of necessary comfortable learning environment especially for someone like me like I'll just not say anything if I'm nervous I'll just be quiet the entire time so
0: absolutely actually if I can underline that for the listeners I think that is a profound realization and one that I recognized myself all too late. There was a lot of quiet Justin <laughs> during trading and it really wasn't until I was more senior where I was like, you know, the, this, this is the time that I need to make mistakes. And then by making mistakes, my attendings understand how to correct me and and coach me to do better going forward. That escaped me for a while. So kudos for appreciating that. And uh, do you have any kind of advice for people? Because I imagine, you know, you've seen others kind of struggle with this and and how do you help them to realize to speak up and making mistakes is okay when when you're training?
1: I feel like I have gotten to a point now for the most part, I'm like 70% there where I'm basically shameless at this point because a good way to think of it, a good metaphor is, you know, how you're studying for a test and you don't necessarily understand a topic. And so you're kind of like, I just don't want to deal with that topic right now. I'll focus on this other stuff and take the test. And then that topic that you avoided is all over the test. And then you're kind of just like, that's embarrassing I should have just like asked and then I would have gotten a good grade or something like that I kind of take that approach to residency now because I have noticed that when I try to avoid something that I don't understand because it's either conceptually very difficult or it's something that I should feel like I should already know by now and so it's kind of like that embarrassment I'm just afraid of being like wait can you explain this to me it's really just hurting myself because the further I get into residency, it's going to just affect me more and more. And then at a certain point, it's going to be even harder to come and ask for help. So I just have been like, okay, wait, I'm sorry. I don't know anything. Can you please explain this to me? And I feel like taking that approach of subtly humbling myself, which I feel like I came into this process pretty humble, but man, I have been humbled a lot more since <laughs> since then. I feel like I don't really think anyone is. Don't think that people are judging you because we all started in different spots. And I know that some more senior attendings may have their beginning residency days are long behind them. But I don't know, for me, talking to the fellows also really helps because they're in like, you know, subspecialty training, but they're pretty close to you as far as where they were at in residency. And especially at Michigan, we have a lot of our fellows, you know, like most residency programs that also did residency here. So when talking to this Heen Path fellow that I think is a total genius, and I'm like, oh, this is awful. You know, I suck. Um, And he's all like, oh, when I was a resident, I didn't even know this until my third year. So like you're way ahead. And then I'm like, Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I guess just be open and shameless. I don't know if that's good advice, but that's what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) Right on. As we're kind of hitting on advice, I'm kind of curious, what do you think for you has been the biggest surprise of residency training? I kind of got an eye for something that you didn't expect, but wow, this was really a surprise this year.
1: I think that the biggest surprise for me actually is, and I feel like this shouldn't be a surprise, this should be kind of, I guess, expected, but is just how supportive the attendings are with us. I mean, they really value, like they actually care whether or not I'm understanding a concept. It's not just like a nine to five job, they're just getting it done and leaving for the day. They actually care and get are gratified from me learning something. And so to me, that makes me feel like just so good and just like so cared for, I guess. I'm surprised at how cared for I feel. Like I feel that in my program, I could tell them that I'm having the worst day of my life and they would be like, okay, yeah, like, you know, how can we support you? And what do you need from us to like help you? And they're not judgmental about it. It's kind of like we're all friends, which isn't like, I know there's like a hierarchy and like, you know, respect thing, but It really doesn't feel like that a lot of the time. So it's pretty cool. I just got married, for example, right? And so I had all these attendings emailing me. How was the wedding? We want to see pictures. That sense of community is just not something I was expecting to find. So it's great.
0: Yeah, just to highlight that for the listeners, I mean, in any program you go to, there's obviously going to be a spectrum, but I think overall faculty are very dedicated to training, to the residents. And I think being upfront and communicating, that helps us not only with learning stuff, but helps to support us, uh, each other during challenging times. I wonder if I could kind of ask you to look into the future now as we kind of close out this particular episode. And so I hope we can grab you again in the future, Dr. Holmes, and, and do another check-in. But, you know, so you're headed into your second year of residency training. What do you think is going to be your biggest challenge for the year ahead? How are you thinking about being successful? What kind of tactic approach are you kind of thinking about for that challenge?
1: I feel like my biggest challenge going into second year, I don't know, I, guess I would say it's a challenge. So my husband is technically living in New York right now. So when I come home, I don't have anything else to do besides go work out, work on research, do things for residency, whether that be studying presentation, whatever. So I think it's going to be challenging for me because he's moving here in a couple of weeks, which is awesome because long distance is not fun. When I get home, I feel like I'm going to really want to just be home. And so a lot of the time I'm in this habit of coming home and doing my work at home because I like to hang out with my cats and stuff like that. So I'm going to have a lot of like work-life balance adjustments that I'm not really sure how to navigate yet, but I'm hoping that I'll just navigate it the same way I did in med school, but residency is a lot more time commitment than med school. I feel like I feel in med school you have a lot more autonomy of your free time versus in residency. So that's I feel like my biggest challenge. And then sorry, there was a follow up question I don't remember.
0: Because I agree with you. It seems like each stage of training, there's potentially I mean there's more of a demand on our time, but also because you've been successful with the previous step. It's kind of an incremental and survivable. Do you think that's fair to say? I don't want to be sending, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, inappropriate sunshines and rainbows. But, you know, I I think... Also to say that, yeah, if you find uh, that you struggle with something, I think uh, it sounds like speaking up and talking to colleagues, it sounds like you have an awesome support network there in your residency. And I think, you know, for any residency somebody goes to, I'd say that same piece of advice. And I don't know, does that seem to resonate with you?
1: Definitely. And what I've noticed from talking to my colleagues about my struggles that I've been having, 99% of the time, you're not the only person that's currently experiencing that. I feel like I can always find like one to two other people that are also experiencing the same emotion that I am about. Whatever it is that's going on. So you're never alone. And then also talking to your more senior residents. The senior residents here, I feel like, are very chill and really like bring you back down to the ground. So I feel like that support has also been helpful. Yeah. And as far as your whole adaptability thing and sunshine and rainbows and stuff, I do agree with you. I do think that every time that you've made it through something that, you didn't think you were going to get through and not to sound so dramatic, but, and you still made it through. It's not like that experience just happened and you survived and you left. You learned and grew from that experience to become the person that you are now. So I feel like, especially for me, like looking back and thinking about who the person I was like 10 years ago when I was in college, I couldn't even imagine the stuff that I'm doing today. I would have never imagined that I was capable of. Doing these things and being at such a great pathology program. I mean, you know, I remember like I just wanted a job at one point in my life and I was like a maid for a long time. And so you just never know what's going to happen. And I feel like you do get stronger. And that's not to like harp on the whole resilience term, because I know that's kind of a hot topic, but you do get stronger and you do build a strong foundation of how to get through problems and you get faster at getting solutions to those problems, if that makes any sense.
0: (laughs) We've been rounding with Dr. Holmes, talking about her residency training experience. Thank you for taking the time to share your words of wisdom with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please follow or subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.